Hello, this is Thaddeus Bugs with the Minority Wine Report in the podcast, Wine in Black and White. Uh, we're here at Almaviva, which is right outside of Santiago, Chile, and we're talking to the CEO and the guy that's running this place, rebuilding this place, what I can see, Manuel Lanzada. <laughs> and he has his assistant, your name again, ma'am? Marisol. Marisol? My Marisol, it's like C and Sun. Oh, C and Sun, and she she has a lot of C and Sun, so that's good. And we got my good friend Mike Mike Ross from uh, Chicago with me, and we're just going to have an informal conversation talking about Almaviva and how this project came to be between uh, the Rothschilds and Conche Toro, and just go through a little history and maybe Manuel will give a little update on this beautiful new project that they have going on outside here. So Manuel. Um, thanks for having us, and we're enjoying some beautiful wines. And just give us a little history about this joint project uh, from the beginning and where it's going. Well, I don't want to go too far, okay? No, but no, no, just to give you a little bit of highlight. So I'll keep you, I'll keep you <laughs> on track, okay? So basically, if you go back, this is the uh, Profound Alliance, and I say that it's almost a friendship, it's like a creation of a new family between Baron Philippe de Rothschild and Vigna Concheto. This is the encounter of two families. At the time, you know, the, the, the person that was the chairwoman of Baron Philippe Rothschild, so Baroness Philippine de Rothschild, she was a character. She was a woman with, uh, you know, a lot of energy. And she encountered some of the owners of, uh, or the family owners of Conche Toro, which is basically two families. The most important is Gilizasti from a shareholder standpoint, and the other one is, is Larain family. So they've encountered, and initially, since the beginning, there was a connection. How, how did they, how did, was it a chance encounter or was it, was it like uh, something that was put together and they wanted to discuss the project or just, uh, did this just happen by chance? This, this was, um, listen, it's, it's very funny because if you talk to the Baron Philippe Rothschild family, Baroness Philippine de Rothschild, she wanted a little bit to establish her mark. You know, in relationship to, to what her father done. You know that the father, Baron Philippe Rothschild, created Opus One yes. with the Robert Mondavi family. And so there was already 20 years of tradition after the creation of, of Opus One. So then afterwards, Baroness also had the will to create uh, an, an exceptional wine in another region where, you know, you can count, you definitely can count with the, with the fingers of your hand, regions where you can make unique Cabernet Sauvignon, spectacular Cabernet Sauvignon for blending. And so she wanted to replicate that, and how she did it, she was looking at different wines at different places, etc. While on the other hand, the Conchetora family was also looking for an opportunity to exchange, because you know that Chile has been known for many years as amazing value for, for money, yeah, but in exactly. price points, they are kind of a, we're stuck below the $10, so they wanted to create something new. And so Lucky, you know, everything that you may imagine brought them together, and this is how they started the, uh, the project. After they met, immediate connection. On top of that, you know, it was a little bit like Opus 1, as I was saying. So Robert Mondavi brought the knowledge of the Napa region. Well, the similarity here was going to occur, brought the knowledge of the Maipo River region, and particularly Puente Alto, the exceptional Cabernet Sauvignon, and then the French bought, brought the savoir faire, you know, the knowledge of how to follow up on the vineyards, determine the date of harvest, make the wine, the aging, the blending, etc., putting everything together, and then on top of that with this beautiful, you know, packaging. And what, was the, what was the year of the first product? When did this 
first bottle of Almaviva? The first bottle of Almaviva was 1996, and the deal was, if I remember correctly, I'm getting old, sorry, Therese, I'm uh, getting old. Now, was now it's sealed at in January or February 97. 97. Okay, that was when the, when the deal was, uh, what, what, what everything was put together to uh, to start making the uh, Almaviva from scratch. And the winemaker here now? So we only have three winemakers. Yes. So you know that the uh, the the Barom the, the the Rothschild family history, there's one person that's very important. It was Nathaniel uh, Rothschild that started a little bit of the kind of the approach into the wine business. And still today, we we're talking about this a little bit earlier that there are two families that are very present. Actually, three I would even say, but the two most recognized out of the Lafitte. And Mouton Rothschild, yes. which is Mouton Rothschild, is the one that's involved with Almaviva, which is owned by Baron Philippe Rothschild. But these are cousins at the end of the day. And both, you know, focused on the expression of terroir, focused on having winemakers that would interpret it and translate that into wine. And since the beginning, since Baron Philippe Rothschild, so the owners of Mouton Rothschild, they decided to come here. They had a clear vision on the winemakers that they had. The first one was the same winemaker as Mouton. His name was Patrick Léon. He was here almost for eight years. Then afterwards, the second winemaker was Todd Mostero. If I tell Todd Mostero, probably it's not a name that's very familiar, but if I tell you that he's a winemaker since 2007 of Dominus in California. Oh, yeah. that, that, that's Christian... Uh, what's this? Moex. Yeah. Yeah. So the, 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 the interesting thing was that on top of that was that Todd Mostero started with some evolution from a winemaking standpoint. What we were talking about, the selection of the parcels, having these 70 different uh, lots of wine or parts of wine or wines, I would say, then coming from 65 hectares of vineyard. And then he was he started, he did the kickoff of this work of precision. And then afterwards, after 2007, since 2007 till today, we have Michel Friot, brilliant French winemaker, that has been. He took the uh, the uh, the kind of uh, he took the what what the work that was done by Todd Mostero and started translating into the wine, narrowing and increasing the precision on all the details. Very nice. Let's talk about the soil and the terroir. Here. What what makes that so unique and so special in making this great wine Almaviva? So you have a, you have a combination of things. So first of all, most important, the Cabernet Sauvignon. That's the heart of Almaviva. Yeah. But but my audience, if you could see this, this beautiful Andy Mount, Andes Mountains that's in the background here, where they go up to like 10,000 feet or something well, like that. The, the close that are closer to here, yes, but you can yeah. go up to almost 25,000, 24,000. With, with the view is just really unbelievable. But go on and talk about you know, a little bit about the Chawa and what we have. So going into the soil directly, this soil is alluvial soil, so it comes from the erosion of the Andes, okay? Being alluvial means that it's the rain, it's the rivers that have built. And you know that the rivers do not go straight all the time. They kind of do turn, so that makes the property completely different. The soils of the property completely different. And that's why you have, you have to be so detailed on the selection of the soils and the expression on each individual part. It's a soil that can go, you know, the first horizon where the roots established can go for 40 centimeters, which is a little bit over one feet. And then it can go down to three feet, so up to one meter. And depending on, on, on the composition of the soil, we have soils better for Cabernet Sauvignon or for Cabernet Franc or for Merlot or for Petit Verlo. And then afterwards, the, the other interesting thing, so that would be from a soil perspective. You can see more pebbles on top. You can see thinner. You can have a little bit more of clay. 
you have to come here to to sense all those differences that we have on this on this property. But then afterwards, you have the climate, which it's almost uh, semi-arid climate because at the end of the day, we have last year we had uh, I'm sorry in 2021 we had 65 millimeters of rainfall, which is roughly less than three inches. Yeah. So it's extremely small. This year we had a little bit more of rain, so it's a dry climate. And on top of that, it's a climate that the temperature can go up to, listen, I would say around 90, 95, does not surpass those 90, 95 degrees, but you've seen it here as well. Permanent breeze, permanent cold breeze that comes from the Andes. That's what allows the Cabernet Sauvignon to ripe so well. Talk about Carmenere because I know that's it's, it's prominent in the blend in Almaviva. Yes. Is it? It's the percentage of Carmenere what it is because we're in Chile? Because the reason why I asked the question is because at one point the French kind of kicked Carmenere out of Bordeaux. Mm -hmm. And now it's here in Chile and it's, uh, it's pretty much a grape of Chile. So it works well in this blend. And it, but if, I mean... I guess my question is, is it a big part of the blend because the Carmenere is here in Chile? And if it wasn't here, would it still be a big part? You kind of understand what I'm saying? I'm, I totally understand what you're saying. Because I think Carmenere is a fantastic great fantastic grape. Yes, it yes. is. Listen, this, um, it's, a, it's not that far from the Malbec in Argentina. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's actually the Malbec in Argentina <laughs> and the Carmenere were brought to Chile by the same viticulturist, Michel Pouget, mm -hmm. in the middle of 19th century. Yes. And still then, you had big surface of Carmenere and Malbec in, uh, in Bordeaux. Mm -hmm. Now, it was brought here prior to the phylloxera attack. So yes. this is pre-phylloxera -pre material, yes. which is much richer from a genetic standpoint. Mm -hmm. And what happened afterwards? You have the phylloxera that devastated the vineyards in, uh, in, in, in Bordeaux. You have the second thing that you had to graft the Malbec and the Carmenere, and both of these grape varieties, actually, the behavior after being grafted is not always the same, particularly if you have a little bit more of humidity or a little bit more of rainfall. So that's why it ended up being less used in Bordeaux, and actually now they're coming back into Malbec a little bit, planting a little bit of Malbec and, and Carmenere. So while here in Chile, you have the pre material of, of Carmenere, that adapted extremely well to the soil. Well, it's a similarity to what happened in Argentina with the, with the Malbec there. And, and, and then afterwards, you have different expressions of Carmenere as well. Listen, you've been to Apalta. Apalta, the Carmenere, muscular, yes. intense, it's rich. Carmenere from Almaviva comes from Peumo. Peumo has a, naturally a much more elegant expression of the, of the Carmenere. Where again? It's a place called Peumo. Not that far from here. <coughs> Is that, a, is that a region or like an EVA or? No, it's something? just a region just that's, that's region. probably around, I would say, one hour from here. Okay. So south. It's, it's, yeah, south. Yeah. Okay. So that's a little bit of the difference. <coughs> and, uh, and uh, you know, the Carmenere, when you taste it, it can make wines that can be from richer mm -hmm. or to the other hand, more delicate, more elegant. This is the kind of Carmenere that we have. I think we should go through the three wines again yeah. and talk about them. Please. <coughs> the first one, uh, 2021 Epu? Epu, yeah. And Epu means what? Epu means number two in the Mapuche <coughs> language. Uh, so if you look at the label of Almaviva and Epu, you see that this is the encounter of two worlds. Okay. On one hand is the 
force of nature from Chile. And on the other hand is the savoir-faire, the know-how that comes from France. So the force of nature, we wanted to replicate both, both in the label of Apple and Almaviva as an expression of the cosmological vision of the ancient people that used to live here. So once, in the case of Epu, it's, the, uh, it's called a tupu, which is a jewel that's a silver jewel that's used to sustain you know, like a cap. Okay. And then the second one, in the case of, uh, of Almaviva, it's called uh, uh, Kultrun, which is right over there. You see like, like that drum, the painter on top of the Kultrun, that basically shows the four seasons, shows north, south, east, and west, and you know that because of the strength of the winds. So since it's stronger from north to south, you have two stripes there instead of one. Oh, okay. And east to west is just one. And then on top of that, usually they would say that different from us. You know, if you look at the south in the northern hemisphere, it's where it's warm. You look at the north, it's where it's cold, it's dark, etc. Well, here is the opposite. That's the only difference. So Almaviva is actually the name is related to a French writer that on top of that, uh, that wrote, uh, his name is Pierre-Augustin Beaumarchais, that wrote The Count of Almaviva and The Barber of Seville, which afterwards were very famous operas. And, uh, and then afterwards, in the case of, uh, of the second wine, the second vin, which is basically inspired by the Chateau concept in, in, uh, in France. Epu means number two in Mapurungun, so in uh, Mapuche language. Very good. The Epu, uh, what should someone expect out of this when they open the bottle up, in a sense? <clears throat> Listen, Epu is, um, for me, it's a, it's a wine that I, I, I'm a very happy guy and tend to have it uh, more often than, uh, than, uh, than the rest of uh, the people because I feel that it's such... The fact of having the Cabernet Sauvignon with the blend, the 80%, the 15% of, um, of Carmener and the 5% of Merlot, I believe I said that wrong a little bit earlier, but it's 5% uh, of Merlot. All that combination believes such an intensity in the nose. But then in the palate, the wine is so smooth, but it has a tannic structure that sustains and gives a lingering finish. It makes a wine that, listen, this is, it, I'm here, it's uh, 12.46 and I'm starting to be hungry just because of tasting the, the wine. It makes me think of a nice piece of meat yes. with a little bit of fat. It's, it's already asking for it. So, you know, we, we wanted being... The, that's part, that's part of my life. You know that I started in the wine business because of my family. Mm -hmm. At the age of five, I tasted my first bottle of wine or my first glass of wine, not bottle, sorry. That would be too much. <laughs> 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 a little bit of a mess. Well, you probably slept good that night. <laughs> so, so, and then basically, you know, I think of wine and I think of, um, you know, enjoying, of, uh, you know, of the pleasure that you have with some mm -hmm. nice food. It, it's yes. natural. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is the kind of wine that goes extremely well with that, with that, with that so kind of fruit. Let's move on then uh, to the 2011 Armo I think that wine has aged gracefully and very well. I think it's a beautiful wine. Yes. You see, you see here all the Cabernet Sauvignon from, uh, from Winter Alto ages. In the nose, the complexity that it receives, it gets, still gets the spiciness, still get that slightly toasty aromas but with the kind of uh, aromas that remind of cherries, of dark cherries mm -hmm. that are very present. And then the palate is just natural sweet fruit, beautiful texture, vibrant acidity, and then the finish is just lingering finish. 
And here, different to Apple. So Apple, we're talking about 80% Cabernet Sauvignon. Here we are at 67 Cabernet Sauvignon. So we increase for Almaviva to fulfill the kind of the bone of the Cabernet Sauvignon, you need a little bit more of, uh, yes. of Carmenere. Very nice. And then has like 5% of Cabernet Franc, 2% of, uh, so it's Petit Verdot, Merlot, and 1% of uh, the other. <coughs> My okay. memory's not that good. And then to compare, for comparison, we have the recently released 2021 Almaviva. It's an exception of two. It probably needs another five years, but it's, I mean, it's drinking really well right now. Listen, with Michelle, that's something that we say we are very patient. You know, yeah. winemakers, we're not that patient wine drinkers. Sorry about that. <laughs> you know, you see the bottle, you see a case yeah. of wine in your home, and and you're like, uh, am I going to wait so long? Mm -hmm. I think that, uh, yeah, I, I kind of tried to hide the cases of new wine, this Almaviva, I'll hide it for at least five, seven years at least, because the fruitiness is so present right now. The vibrance in the nose, but then afterwards, the elegance in the palate, the lingering finish, it stays forever. The Cabernet Sauvignon, when it's very well ripened Cabernet Sauvignon that has all the elements that you need, it just stays there forever. It's like chewy tendons and um, it's beautiful. Uh, red cherry flavors. I really like it a lot. I think it's going to be really good down the road. Manuel, let's talk about um, what's going on here at Almaviva with all the, the new building construction and this is going to be a gorgeous place when it's all said and done. I believe so as well. Listen, um, I think there's some people here at the winery that considers myself as the, the, you know, the Tasmania devil, basically, <laughs> because, you know, when I came here, it was very funny. I arrived here in September 2019, and there were several projects on top of the table that were not moving forward. Uh, you know, I, this has been traumatic, what we had in three years, because this project should have been done probably in around 10 years or so. But you know what? I don't mind. I enjoy fun. I enjoy, you know, moving forward. I enjoy the, the, the possibility of making new things. And, and definitely what we've done is to put to understand what we had in our hands. So we have a, like, a casona, a guest house that, uh, that, was, that was built in 1923. That was 50% was uh, offices and the rest was to receive visitors. And I was like, you cannot have a, a house that, that's 100 years old and just to use it for offices. You have to use this to receive people. And so basically that was the first thing. The second thing, we decided to put a little bit of order into the, into the winery. You know what happens in the wineries? Most of the time you're like, well, I need a little bit of extra capacity here and a little bit of extra capacity there. And you start to put tanks and you start to put barrels. And suddenly everything is full of barrels. Everything is full of tanks, everything full of that. And you cannot move. Yes. So basically what we decided to do, and most of the time the investment's a little bit bigger, let's put it this way, than if you do it step by step. But the thing was that we needed a place where to keep the bottles at perfect conditions of storage. So we have right over there, you can see from here, uh, a bottle room that's hidden at around 13, um, 13 meters, so that's around 30 feet. Yes. So it's underneath, so that you have natural protection for, for temperature, etc. So that's between bottling and labeling. And then afterwards, we have the barrel rooms. We had, in my opinion, we have the, the Grand Share that's exceptional. And then the second use, second year uh, barrel room that, in my opinion, you know, being in a seismic country, this is 
the second place, the second city in the world with highest activity, seismic activity. Seismic. Seismic activity. Oh, you mean yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Earthquakes. Earthquakes. Yeah. Okay, yes. So imagine when you see more than two barrels, three barrels, yeah. I'm kind of a shaky, you know, I kind of get a little bit, a little bit concerned. So basically what we've done was to build what used to be the bottle room is now a second barrel room where a second, second year barrel room where you can go up to two or three heights, so everything is controlled and there's absolutely no risk on losing a drop of wine. I have enough with the angels' shares. Mm -hmm. I yes. apologize that. The angels take already their share yes. and that's enough. I don't want to lose anything else. And in, in the greeting and reception, you have a new uh, area for yes. guests so, and it's only by um, uh, reservation only or Yes, only by reservation. We're going to be open the public. Well, Marisol, that's going to be Marisol challenge, but we're going to, to open the public probably by the end of this year, beginning of next year. And it's only by reservation because we want, listen, if you have such a beautiful experience, it has to be on small groups. I, we believe that it has to be eight, ten people at the most so that you have a personal experience and, and throughout the visit. And what will be the channel for making the reservation? I would say that's our website and probably potentially export more than domestic market. So, and, and still today, you probably have 25% of domestic consumption and 75% for export, which is completely different for Argentina, which is the other way around. Yeah, well, they drink, drink it all. Do they drink it all, which is good, good for them. <laughs> well, good for them. Good for them. <laughs> so, so anyway, so, and we do not have a strong market like, like you have in the, in the U.S. If Almaviva would be in the United States, it would be for definitely a cultural, it would definitely be a cultural. Absolutely. Yes. So here we, we promote, we are promoting something that, that is different from the traditional Chilean wines. We talk about this exceptional wine, this cult wine, like Almaviva. Uh, but it's something that you have to continue promoting because if you look at the full picture, we, there's like the point of a needle between ourselves and, and the ones that you've mentioned, uh, you know, Senia, Vinilo, Chabri, Coapalta, and, uh, and, uh, and basically, you know, if, if Vic or Montes or just a few needles that are trying to promote this exceptional wine from Chile or try to, to talk about it. But yes, in, in that sense, we have, we, we should definitely change. We do that individually. Yeah. We do it then on their own. Uh, we do that in China. We do that on top of that with some journalists that have embraced these exceptional wines from Chile, you know, particularly, for example, James Cycling that has given a lot of support to, to Chile. We definitely need to continue working on that, positioning these wines as exceptional wines. So in finishing up this beautiful winery here, what's, what's your vision five, ten years down the road? Is something's going to progress and you, you have a vision that to push it forward? Listen, there's always, uh, we have a, we have a long-term vision is where, where the continuation. So from, um, on, on different areas, I would probably separate that on different areas on the technical parts is going to continue promoting, to continue developing the knowledge and the, the that, uh, that precision that we're talking about on the expression of each terroir. You know that every year there's a learning curve. We learn every year to take into consideration climatic conditions that change how to express in a way where there's this vibrancy, vibrancy, freshness that probably not that long ago consumers were searching for and today they are more, they prefer slightly more delicate wines with beautiful, with beautiful uh, vibrancy and freshness. So that's one of the points. And the rest is continue on 
for sure continue working on the markets and and this is something that we were talking about with, with Felipe yesterday with our, our commercial director is continue positioning and putting on Laviva where, where it should be side by side with some of the most exceptional wines in the world so that's the work that we have to do so we have to keep on drinking a lot of wine all exactly. over the world yeah. my job is horrible <laughs> <We> got <laughs> a great job yes thank you Manuel for a great tasting and really enjoy and we can't wait to come back and really enjoy the facility once it's completed. Thank More you. than happy to receive you here. Cheers. Cheers.